Now, while the kids are getting their um, sheets, um, actually, Trinity, would you mind if we just... Oh, Cade, do you mind throwing up that picture? It's towards the end, um, right down the bottom. Uh, So this sermon bit now. So, um, there's this concept, it's really thick in our society, and the concept is, unless you work for it, you won't appreciate it. Unless you work for it, you won't appreciate it. So I talked about the things that uh, you worked for, uh, you saved up for as as a young person. I remember my first car. It was a Mitsubishi Scorpion. It was red. The Scorpions were sort of like the sporty version of the Sigmas, if you remember those. And uh, it had a 2.6 litre engine and yet barely anyone in it. Um, And so it went fast. Uh, It felt very uh, cool. But particularly I remember it because I saved up for it. For a long time, all my school jobs, like so I, I had local newspaper deliveries and then I, I was cleaning offices three days a week for a period of time and I, I had found all sorts of ways to save up so that when it was time for me to own my own car, I could afford it. Uh, unless you work for it, you won't appreciate it. I, I remember, uh, sorry, people use this argument a lot. I think we're going to hear it a lot in this coming election, you know, um, it's, it's, a four, it's all about welfare, and do people really appreciate welfare? We've got that concept of the dole bludger in our society, somebody who just takes it for granted that someone else is going to do the hard work for them. Um, I'm not sure that it's really true of people in most cases, but anyway, um, it's certainly the advice you get as parents. You've got to teach your kids to work, because if they don't learn how to work, they're going to take things for granted. Um, if you run around doing all the jobs for them at home they won't appreciate it because they don't realise the hard work involved. In lots of areas of life, people argue that unless you work for it, you won't appreciate it. And so when people get to heaven, sorry, when they get to thinking about heaven, they tend to use the same logic. Surely you must have to work for eternal life. You must have to earn it. You might, otherwise you won't appreciate it. You've got to do all the right things. You've got to attend church. You've got to help charities. You've got to care for your family. You've got to look out for people in need. If you don't do all the hard work, you won't appreciate heaven. And so it's quite shocking, if you actually know what the Bible says, to find Jesus almost sounding like that in this passage, isn't it? Did you see that? In the first bit of what we read, we started at verse 22. We sort of read this bit last week. The crowd sees the disciples leave, and then they realize that Jesus is gone too, so they chase him across the lake. They've got to do a lot of work to do this. They've got to find boats. They've got to row across. This is no small effort. And Jesus commends their exertion, except he doesn't commend their purpose. They have worked hard, but all they've worked hard for is mere food. As we saw last week, the goal of food is life. And Jesus has life in space, life as God intended, life he can give to others, life that lasts. Surely that's the thing to work for. Surely that's the thing to put your effort in for. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus says it is worth working for eternal life. 
If you're going to choose something to work for, this is it. I remember my first job, uh, delivering local newspaper. You know, you walk around the street, dropping it in everyone's front yard. It was a lot of work. It, it, like, because you, you could carry as many papers as you could and you drop them around and then it, you sort of had to go back. So you'd carry more, which was more load to carry, but that meant you didn't have to go back as many times to refill your bag. And Gee, you're exhausted. And then at the end of the week, it was worth, what, 10 or $12? It was just tuppence even back then. And so in the end, I just gave up on the job. Why, why would I put in that hard work? But my mum actually ended up doing the work instead. Not for the pay. She wanted the exercise. She had something worth working for. She had a goal. She wanted to improve her health. And so all that hard work was worth it. That's Jesus' logic here. Why work to sustain this life? Because this life is full of futility and frustration. So often effort isn't rewarded. We know that justice is never guaranteed in this world. And worse, we all die. So anything good that we experience now, it's just temporary. Why work for this life if there's the option of eternal life, of life that lasts? You can get Jesus' logic. Except, it turns out you can't work for eternal life. You can't work for it. You actually have to trust someone else. That is your work. So listen to verse 28. Then the crowd asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe, to trust in the one he has sent. This is the twist in what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus says their work is to not work. Because I, I just need to get this straight. Faith is not work. Faith isn't work. Faith is trusting. Work is doing. Uh, so if the kids offer to make me lunch, uh, I can insist on doing it myself or I can trust them. I can believe their promise that they will make me something nice and they won't try and poison me or at least stick ants in my food. But I have to trust them. Otherwise, if I start to make the lunch, that's not faith, that's work. And there's a big difference between faith and work because with work, the amount of work changes the outcome, doesn't it? The longer I work, the harder I work, it actually changes how much success or how much product I produce or something. But faith isn't work. The quality of my faith doesn't change the outcome. I can have really weak faith. I can have really strong faith. It doesn't decide what's going to happen in the end. So let me give you the example. You think of two people riding an aeroplane. Uh, they have different levels of faith. So the first person, they have unquestioning faith. They don't doubt that the plane will get them there. They have complete trust in the pilot. They get on board. They're relaxed. They're so relaxed they fall asleep before the flight even takes off. Uh, they have confident faith. But the other person struggles to trust. To them, the plane is just this thin sheet of metal standing between them and total death and just falling. They know the rules of physics. They know that what goes up must come down. Uh, they know the statistics. They know exactly how many 787 Dreamliners have crashed in recent years. They enter that plane full of fear. 
They have a weak faith. It is just enough to get them on board. But here's the thing. They both get to the destination. The person who's confident, the person who is just there, they both make it because it doesn't depend on their faith. The faith isn't what carries them through the air. It's the plane. The thing they trust in is what guarantees the outcome. And it's the same with God. You may feel you have just this tiny bit of faith and it is so weak and you don't trust Jesus as much as you know you should. That's okay. Faith isn't work. Jesus is being intentionally ironic here. You can have strong faith or weak faith. The work God requires is trusting the person he sent. It's not work. It's not doing something. It is trusting someone else to give you eternal life. And the crowd almost seems to get that. Uh, They figure Jesus is saying, trust me, like the Israelites trusted Moses. So have a look at verse 30. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus isn't saying, trust me like you trusted Moses. Moses was just the messenger. Jesus is saying, trust me like you trusted the manna. The manna was the source of life. God sent the manna down from heaven to keep the Israelites alive. And God sent me, says Jesus, to be the source of eternal life. I am the supply. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It's interesting there, he says the world and not just the Israelites. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever trusts in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the source of eternal life. When these people say, always give us, it's like they're thinking of Jesus like a shop. You know, you you go down to the shop, you, you fill up on eternal life, and then you have to go back, and another day you'll go down and pick up a few more supplies. Every time Jesus doles out just this bit more, but that's not the picture. No, Jesus satisfies hunger once and for all jesus ends thirst that's what he's saying come to jesus trust jesus and your life is secure have jesus and you have eternal life and he goes on to show us why it's because god does all the work eternal life isn't something you work towards it's not something you fight for it is something you discover god has done so look at these next verses jesus says that god's at work from the beginning to the end eternal life is all god's work it's not just that jesus that the father sent jesus from heaven god the father actually gives us to jesus did you see that People come to Jesus because God gives them to Jesus. And if people don't come to Jesus, it's because God hasn't brought them to Jesus, at least not yet. And the people God brings, he protects. Uh, The moment a person trusts Jesus, Jesus guards them. 
He raises them from death. Jesus does it because that's what God wants him to do. It's God's will. From beginning to end, from the first moment of faith until we stand in heaven, this is all from God. Listen from verse 36. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The message to get from these verses, the one I want you to go home with, is that God saves sinners. Sinners don't save themselves. We don't do anything to earn forgiveness. God brings us to Jesus and he, he, Jesus, gives us eternal life as a gift. Now, I want to make some quick observations about what's going on here. The first one to make, I'm really convinced this is what, what we're finding here, is what the Bible teaches as predestination. This is the idea that from beginning to end, salvation is from God. The idea that God chooses to save us, to chooses to save you before you choose to trust him. And I particularly get that from verse 37. Notice how the reason we come to Jesus is that the Father gives us to Jesus. Can you see that there? Our coming is the product of his giving. Now, immediately I want to say, notice that this is being offered as comfort. This whole concept of God giving people to Jesus, it's, it's urging us to trust Jesus. It's, it's an invitation to trust Jesus. I mean, these people are offended. They don't like being, the thought of being that dependent on Jesus. But Jesus isn't describing predestination to drive people away. He's emphasizing God's work because it offers profound security. Look at verse 39. None that God gives to Jesus will be lost. If God does all the work in saving us, then we are safe. Nothing can threaten that. Thirdly, notice that everyone is welcome. God doesn't limit the invitation because he, he takes people and brings them to Jesus. Everyone is urged to believe. Verse 35, whoever comes will never be hungry. Whoever believes will never thirst. Verse 40, everyone who believes, because just because it's God saving us doesn't limit the invitation. It actually widens it out because it makes it more certain. It doesn't matter who you are. God can save you. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. People with mental disabilities, people with limited understanding of, of what is said to them, they can be saved because God saves people from beginning to end. It is not our obedience. It is not the size of my trust. And last, I just want to notice that predestination here leads to lifelong dependence. It doesn't, it's not this sort of one-off transaction. You don't pray the prayer and then go on and live how you like, as if it's all signed and sealed. 
It's not coming back to church every now and then to fill up, you get your religious fix. Or, you know, every time we have communion, it's sort of topping up my eternal life sort of supply or something like that. It's none of that. The way to have eternal life, if God does all the work, is by constantly relying on God through Jesus to save us. It's living all of life depending on God's grace, trusting God's kindness. The more we understand these verses, the more we realize God is our only hope. We've got to trust him. Let's just think about three ways, three things I think we can do in response to these verses. So I think the first thing that these verses are telling us is we need to get eternal life. Don't waste your energy on this life and miss out on the life that really matters. Uh, Life is consuming, let's be honest. It takes a lot of effort to keep life running. Um, It takes a lot of effort to keep the family fed, to get the works done, to do all the errands and to drop off kids at work. And there are many, many days where you just drag yourself out of bed and you make it through the day and you fall back on the pillow and that is it. Keeping yourself fed and alive takes a lot of work. But Jesus says here, don't work so hard for food that spoils that you miss out on life that lasts forever. Don't miss out. Are you too distracted by keeping life going, too busy to stop and reflect on the things that really matter? Is life too full to stop and investigate the Bible and find out who Jesus is? So so here's an illustration and an actual application. Um, Maybe this is a thing that you've been needing to to think about and work on. Um, Trinity, can you throw up the image there? Um, Next term, I'm going to be offering the life course. It's, uh, It's just a chance to sit down for a series of weeks and just think about life and think about what God says about life. If that's the sort of thing that you need to make time to do, Maybe now you can start to plan the time to do it. Set aside the time to make sure you're not so busy thinking about this life that you don't have life for the age to come. Eternal life, the life that matters. Thanks for that, Trinity. So get eternal life. Second thing I think we can learn from this passage is get eternal life by trusting Jesus. Don't work to get eternal life. Don't think you'll get to heaven by working hard. One of the questions I love to ask people is, if you died tonight and you stood before the gates of heaven and God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I've asked that question of lots of people. Surprising how many people will say things like, well, I tried to be good. I raised my family well. I went to church regularly. I never murdered anyone. I'm not that bad a person. People list the things they do. But the work that God requires is believing Jesus, trusting Jesus. Jesus is how you get eternal life. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on a cross in your place to take your punishment You don't deserve eternal life. God gives it as a free gift. And so the way to receive eternal life 
is to trust Jesus to give it to you. Don't try and work for it. Trust Jesus to keep you safe. And, and that's the third thing I think we can do in response to this. Get eternal life. Get eternal life by trusting Jesus and enjoy being safe. Enjoy depending on God. See, if you trust Jesus, it's because God gave you to Jesus. And God wants Jesus to keep you safe. He will keep you safe. You are guaranteed eternal life, not because you're a good person, but because Jesus died to save you and he will raise you to life on the last day. He's risen from the dead to make that certain. See, eternal life comes from relationship with Jesus, not obedience. Let me finish with a story. So uh, Timothy Jones is an author and he wrote a book called Proof. And in it, he tells a story about his family. Apparently, his family had a few adopted kids. And one daughter, this was her second adoption. She'd been in another family. And and apparently in that family, the family would regularly go to Disneyland and the biological kids would go along, but the adopted kids wouldn't. So now, Tim's there, his family's making plans to go to Disneyland and suddenly this adopted daughter is just playing up something severe. Uh, Just the closer the trip came, she she behaved worse and worse. She started stealing food she could have asked for. She started um, lying, even though telling the truth would have been so much easier for her. She created arguments with her siblings. You know, a couple of days out, she says to Tim, I know what you're going to do. You're not going to take me to Disneyland, are you? Tim says to look, the thought never crossed my mind, but given her behaviour, he was tempted to say, you know, if you don't start behaving better, you're right, we won't take you. And by God's grace, he said that wasn't his response. Instead, he said, look, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She said, yes. And are you part of this family? Yeah. Then you're going with us. Sure, there may be consequences to help you remember what's right and wrong, but you're part of our family and we're not leaving you behind. Now, after that conversation, her behaviour didn't improve. Another couple of days of really hard behaviour. They went to Disneyland. She went to Disneyland. They had all the usual experience, the overpriced food, the overpriced rides, the whole thing happened for the day, but they came home with a very different girl. And so he was sitting with her, praying with her before bed, and he asked her, how was your day, first day at Disneyland? Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disneyland. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I'm good. It's because I'm yours. That is the security that this verse is talking about. That is the security that Jesus is offering. Yes, get eternal life. Get eternal life by trusting Jesus and then enjoy your security. You're safe. You're his. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that in these verses you tell us we are safe when we trust in Jesus. We are so thankful for the offer of eternal life. It is so worth it, so worth working towards. And yet, Lord God, there is nothing we can do to have it. Teach us how to trust Jesus 
for eternal life. And in doing that, may we realise how safe we really are. Thank you that you will raise us on the last day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.